What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It is Friday, and you know what that means. I am bringing on another Modern Day Marketer to school me, and hopefully you'll learn something too. I got my man, Jay Akunzo. You gotta know Jay. Jay's all over those social platforms, always presenting really good content and getting me to think about how I'm doing my job. Jay is a storyteller. He has been in the podcast game for quite some time. You might have seen him on stage at a show. He's a great speaker. Today, I wanted to have him on Modern Day Marketer to talk about selecting a theme for your content and staying consistent with your delivery. Jay is one of the most consistent marketers that I've come across online. I've had a ton of good side conversations with him. And I said, you know what, Jay? I need you to come on Modern Day Marketer and share your stuff. And that's what he's doing today. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button. Tell a damn marketing friend about Modern Day Marketer, would you? It's Friday. Let your hair down. Let's learn a little something and I'll kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm really excited for this conversation. We're diving into a topic that I think is really important and someone who has a ton of experience on it. So I'm joined by a guy that you probably know, Jay Kunzo. He's the author, speaker, and show host at Unthinkable Media. We've had a chance over the last few months to catch up, talk about marketing, talk about some opportunities and things that we're seeing. But without further ado, Jay, how are you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So we're going to have, we're going to talk about kind of selecting a theme for your content and staying consistent with your delivery. That's the overarching topic we'll be diving into. But before we do, I saw a LinkedIn post from you yesterday, which I thought was cool. Um, and this is going to be like a little bit of like podcast inception, I think in a way, but you, <laughs> you put out there that you've been uh, podcasting for eight years, uh, 600 interviews, 500 episodes, which is insane. Um, and I know you you shared some kind of learnings along the way, but yeah. um, congratulations. And I'd, I'd love for you to maybe hit some of those highlights on your experience and kind of what podcasting has, has meant for you in your career. For sure. And thank you. Uh, it's a lot of practice. That's what that, that, when I hear that, I think of how bad it started and how, like, it's almost like how it started. And what, I, I will butcher the meme because I, I, like you, have new dad brain. So I will butcher the meme, but uh, how it started is very different than how it's going. There we go. Stuck the landing. Yeah, I, I, I think we get a lot of things wrong when it comes to the shows we make, especially as marketers, because I think what we try to do is basically compete on topics. We try to say like, this is a show about this and it's what we explore. And out of the list I published to LinkedIn and have talked about elsewhere or consulted on with brands, the number one thing consistently is premise development. And it's the same with your brand. It's having a brand story. Like your brand isn't built based on what you explore or what you do. What is the story? What is the premise? And the premise is not just topics. It's also your hook. So assume for a moment, lots and lots of content and maybe even lots of competitive shows explore what you explore, the topics. That's not differentiating. That's not original. That's not your corner. Uh, you and I joked a little bit before the show about I'm, I'm rewatching The Wire my wife hasn't seen it. So that's our new binge show. And uh, so I, I was thinking in terms of like, that's my corner, get off my corner. Like that's what you want as a brand. If somebody were to create a show just like yours, they'd be laughed off the corner because that's yours. So a lot of these podcasts, especially in brands, especially in B2B are not defensible because it's just covering a collection of topics. So what you want to do is combine what you explore with a very clear articulation of how you explore it 
which in show running parlance would be called your hook. And that might be a playful or delightful gimmick or conceit or game mechanic, or it might be something grand feeling like a quest you're on to try and change something or a belief system you're exploring and trying to disseminate. But what you explore plus how you explore it gives the audience a reason why they'd care. And the entire point of your show, the entire point of your premise is to provide motivation to do something for your audience. And the premise's job is to provide motivation to subscribe. And that's missing in so many marketers shows. I love that. And uh, we're going to jump into the topic, but just want to kind of dive a little deeper on this because it's I'm interested in it. I think there's so much of uh, B2B marketing is, you know, one marketer or one company does something, someone else sees it and tries to replicate it. And it's like, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, there's a trend and everyone's doing the same thing and it gets oversaturated and watered down. And it sounds like what you're recommending and suggesting just in terms of the podcast medium is, is kind of counter to, to that, that counter to what we're used to. It's, it's really taking a step back and thinking about what you want to represent as a brand, what you want to explore, uh, what you want to kind of bring on guests or share your own insight on. And if you're able to do that right, people will come and listen because it's different. And that's really the start of using kind of a podcast to help build and develop your brand. Yeah, if you were to white label your show or really any content, but let's stay at home with podcasts, if you were to white label your brand's podcast, remove the logo, remove the name, how am I going to know it's yours versus everyone else? Like the world does not need yet another show that claims to like go deep and get the actual details of how some successful people were successful. Like we don't need more of that and we don't need more of the niche down version of that in your industry. What we might need is the show that only you can create. And the way we find that is not to look outward at the competition, is to talk to customers, all these pithy things you hear, but even more so, it's to look inward and say, what am I frustrated by in this niche? Or what am I endlessly curious about? Which, by the way, is, is often born out of frustration. It's like, this sucks. This is broken. Why? Who's done it better? Why is it this way? Why is it bad? How did we get here? What does history say? What does science say? Who can we learn from? And I think it's this like posture change that we're trying to make here. Instead of saying we're the experts and we're talking to the experts, it's we're explorers and we have a vision for where our community goes. And this is perfect in B2B because you're part of the community. You're participating, not just promoting stuff to them. And you say, I have a vision or we as a company, we have a vision for what would be better for this community. And it, some people agree with it and a lot of people might not, but that's okay because the people that agree really want to go with you on that journey of asking questions. That's the next episode, right? And then the episodes beget more episodes, questions beget more questions. So it's actually a really simple switch emotionally, which is stop trying to act like an expert and start trying to act like an investigator. And I think there you start to find what your premise might be. I love it. One more on this. You mentioned investigator. You mentioned talk to your customers. That's kind of pithy. That's what everyone says. I think I think everyone says that. And I think marketers know that. But I, I feel, and I'd love your reaction. I feel like not enough take the time to go take some of those uh, conversations away from product, take some of those conversations away from CS and, and own them as, as marketers and explore themes, topics through those conversations, and then synthesize those notes and play them back in their content. I know we talk about it a lot, but I, yeah. it feels like not enough marketers are kind of going and doing the work and making it happen. I don't know what your reaction to that is. I, I think that's, I think that's generally right. I think 
you know, I have a weird advantage perhaps, and it was by accident, which I, I, I befriended a lot of product managers at the software companies I worked for. And so, yes, I hung out with a lot of fellow marketers and salespeople, but also some of my best friends were product managers. And I would just ask them about their jobs because I didn't quite get it. Like a PM at a SaaS brand, it does, you know, it's almost like you can put a, you know, those spider charts where you have like that amoeba of color and it can skew in any direction, north, south, east, west, or somewhere in between. And so you kind of get these like different versions of that spider chart where like some PMs are really strong technically, others are really great with design, others are really almost like mini CEOs and they get the business case and others are a blend. So a buddy of mine is really, really good at user research and really, really good at product development and design. And so what he always encouraged me to think about is, and I think this gets to your point, like marketers don't know how to talk to customers, product managers do. What my friend always pushed me to do was say, ask about the pain understand the problems. Don't ask for their solutions. Do not look for their ideas. If they want to give you ideas and you build rapport through that, great. Oh, thanks so much, Brett, for your ideas for my show or my company or my marketing. Like You don't have to listen to them. You probably won't. Better is to figure out what's broken in your world or in this task that our company might have a product to help you solve. And how are you already trying to solve that? I think those are two great questions is like, what is not working? What is frustrating? What is annoying you? What's too hard? And then also, how are you currently trying to solve that? And you might figure out like you've seen this before, or it might be new, but either way, you get to know the problem. And then you go back with your imagination and your taste and your skill because you're a craftsperson and you create, in this case, content, or it could just as easily be a product that they didn't know to ask for. And that turns you from like an expert who's going to say, oh, I have an answer for that to someone that they might consider a visionary. Someone who's like, I could never have anticipated this. Like you found a way to make this show. And now that I'm encountering it, I'm like, wow, I feel so seen. This is for me. But they would have proposed that you just go talk to a bunch of experts in your knit, right? So yes, we say talk to customers. It's super pithy. I get annoyed by it. But I don't think we really know what that means. It's not look for solutions, look for ideas. I think the worst case scenario is we start letting the customer lead with our content. No, you want to figure out what is broken, feel that frustration, and then figure out what will be better, have a vision, have a prescription for it. And by the way, back to the top of the episode here, that's the how, that's the hook, right? It's not the topics you're exploring, it's how you're exploring them. And that is really born out of emotion. So you got to go and understand that emotion from the customer, not their ideas, their problems. So I would imagine somewhere in your exploration of what you just talked about, you you landed in an area where you're like, we need to fo- I need to focus on the topic of resonance, resonance, because not enough people are talking about it. And somewhere in you know, conversations with other marketers or brands or companies you're working with, like this, this has formed in your brain. I think before we met, I follow you on Twitter and I, you, I, there wasn't a tweet that went by where you weren't messaging it. And it got me to think, and it got me to click into your content and kind of go down that rabbit hole of like, I've never thought about this before. Um, I'd love for you to maybe kind of unpack like the why behind yeah. resonance and what, how you landed on it. I think we all want something very similar, which is, you know, we want our work to feel in some ways irreplaceable to others. Now that could be at this moment in time, you might be thinking, I wish my boss took me more seriously or gave me more opportunities. I wish it was a client, a peer, a customer, the audience, the listener, whoever we're serving. We want whatever we're doing to feel so good, so valuable, so specific that it it feels irreplaceable. It's like, you don't want to choose someone else. You want to choose us or me. 
right? And, and there's a gradation to this too, which is, you know, we don't just want supporters. We want like passionate fans. We don't just want, if we're recruiting people to our team, we don't just want like new employees. We want teammates, you know, we want people to carry the brand's banner, all these things. So what we want is rooted in emotion. We want to feel irreplaceable to whomever we serve. And so then we run around and I think we focus on the wrong things. We focus on proxies for what we really want. In marketing parlance, awareness. Awareness is a proxy for affinity. Like we don't want people to know we exist. We want people to love us. And we hope and we assume perhaps that, oh, if, if only more people knew we existed, they would take an action. They would love us, like us, take an action, whatever. I think it's a really dangerous assumption, right? If, if only we got in front of more people. Marketing is not about getting in front of more people. It's about making sure people care. And you can't really force people to care. You have to show them why they would, right? You have to speak to them on a personal, emotional level. And so the best possible reaction, I think, to our work is someone goes, oh my God, I feel seen. Or like, yes, this. Or, you know, my favorite, you're speaking to my soul. Because now I'm not talking to you as a director of marketing or a CMO or whomever. I'm talking to you as a person. And so when someone comes to you and says, who do you pick? Who do you stick with? Who are you sticking up for? Even against the odds, even against bigger competition or objectively higher ranked things, they'll pick me, right? They'll pick you. So I think the object of our journey here is to ultimately do something that others consider their favorite, right? It's irreplaceable. It's among the chosen few. That's what we want. Great. How do we do it? We're doing it backwards. We're looking for reach. We need to focus on resonance because if you have resonance, the rest gets a lot easier or becomes a byproduct. And so here's the flip. Reach is how many people see you, but resonance is how much they care. And for the life of me, I don't know why we leave that second thing to chance. I think it's just as learnable a skill as growing reach and revenue. And no one seems to be teaching it or trying to make sense of how we do it. And so we just say like, oh, that guy's got a gut feel for it. Oh, that woman's amazing. She's a great writer. It's just that she's got the gift. And I'm like, hold on a sec. This is a craft. We can figure this out together. And so at the beginning of this year, I decided, let me see if I can try. And so you kind of catch me now partway through that journey to figure out well, how do you resonate more deeply to grow your business, to leave your legacy? So many triggers on what you have said here. I think what, the thing that stands out to me the most in reaction to that is this quantity versus quality um, mindset that yeah. we all have in B2B marketing where it's like, you know, our boss or our boss's boss, they want more of something and they're, they're managing, we want more leads, we want more of this. They don't take, no one takes the time to dig in to the quality of those things. And mm-hmm. I think it's, when we're doing marketing stuff, it's everyone wants to reach more. However, like in with, if we're thinking deeply about resonance, it's let's, let's maybe reach fewer, but be more impactful, but better. Yeah. But better. So if you're a marketer and you get that, you understand what you just said and you're inside of an organization who is maybe managing kind of uh, the, the way we're used to in B2B? Like, yeah. how do you maybe start that conversation? How do you, what are things you can do to maybe sh- uh, shift that mindset internally? I mean, there's a couple of things. One is breaking it down into very simple terms that are already things people want. And I think that's really key is like, we try to convince a culture, which is this vague, non-existent thing. It's just a collection of people and their behavior. Maybe their beliefs plus their behavior makes a culture, but it's all people, right? And the, the way people get on board with new ideas is very rarely for you to say, stop what we're doing and change to do this instead. Typically, it's saying, hey, you know that thing you already want? I think I found a better way to get it. 
That is a far easier way to convince a boss, an audience, whomever, is to say right away, I am aligned with you. And ironically, like this is getting really meta. You, you mentioned <laughs> podcast inception before, but to convince somebody to get on board, I just said, you align with them. That's what resonance is. Like if you look in the sciences and physics, resonance is essentially an energy transfer. It's when one system amplifies a second system by matching the second system's natural frequency. So a super simple example is I'm, I'm pushing you on a swing. And if I push you too soon, you're actually coming back towards me. And now I provide not resonance, but dissonance because I'm actually slowing you down, right? I'm pushing against you. If I push too late, you're already starting to move forward. So I either miss you or it's like a little bit too ineffectual. It's like, I just barely graze you. But if I push you at the exact right time in the flow of how you are already operating of, of your natural frequency, to use the scientific term, I can then send you faster, higher, et cetera. That's what we're doing when we're resonating with people, whether it's a sales pitch or getting buy-in or what have you. It all starts by understanding their natural frequency. So if your boss only hears numbers or prides herself in hearing the numbers or wants some kind of lead goal to be hit every month, you're probably not going to do something different in your company by not acknowledging that, which is how we tend to pitch the boss. We're like, oh, I hope they don't bring up the lead total we have. I hope I can just, maybe we hide that for a little while and I can convince them to do something different, right? And oh God, they brought it up. Shoot up back to the drawing board, back to the status quo, we're stuck. I think come out with it. Just be like, I know we have this lead total and we have to hit it every month. I think I found a better way. And you explain your idea for change in that context. That is quite literally how you resonate with people. And if you don't do that, I don't think you can spark any kind of change. So I, I mentioned the topic and uh, we dove into a little bit here. You've started at the beginning of the year talking resonance in your content. And I would imagine there's a lot of different things that you've done, written articles, probably done podcast episodes, interviewed people, maybe share a little perspective about the journey. Like yeah. what sort of reactions have you gotten? Um, talk maybe about consistency, how important consistency has been to delivering your message. I'd sure. love to learn more there. So kind of the underpinning structure and approach of, of yeah, how I'm yeah. exploring resonance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I do think this approach, this is a very helpful approach because um, it helps you build audience. It helps you, you know, eventually if I have the book, eventually I'll have the speech, other products perhaps. So like, these are the things that, you know, I'll have an audience eagerly waiting for those things, if not just the next episode or next newsletter. So the way I approach it, and I learned this, this from Andrew Davis, wonderful marketer, one of the smartest people I've ever encountered. And I'm very lucky to call him a friend. So the way Drew coached me on this was essentially that switch from expert to investigator is you start by asking questions that Google can't answer in, in, in citing Drew's words. And so the question is, how, first of all, why aren't we focused on resonance more? Google can't really answer that question. So now I have to like launch a little investigation, right? Well, what are we focused on instead? So it starts with frustration, right? That's like a match you light. And then you lower it to some kindling, which is your curiosity. If you just sit there being pissed and holding the match, you're going to get burned because the match is going to burn down. You're going to get burned. I just described Twitter. That's what I just described. Everyone's lighting their matches and holding it and be like, I'm angry. Tweet, tweet, tweet. I'm burning. Far better is to light your curiosity using that frustration. So now I'm like, okay, what is resonance? Like, what does that even mean? Let's go to the dictionary. Let's go to history. Let's go to science. And it seems really silly, but that's where it begins. And so I declare like, I'm angry at this. Aren't you? And so you get a bunch of true believers coming out and saying, yeah, me too. And then you go, great. We're going on a journey to figure this out. 
right? And this is starting to sound a lot like a podcast premise, quite frankly, but for me, it's my entire creative platform. And so, okay, how are we going to figure this out? Well, first there's the mechanics, the meta level. I have a newsletter and a podcast and social media. So my newsletter is ideas and stories that I'm writing from my own perspective. It's like kind of the rawest fashion of me trying to understand resonance. And like the most super of super fans subscribe to the newsletter. The podcast is collecting stories and therefore the insights from those stories from others' perspectives. So now it's just not an N of one. I'm not just opining because it feels right to me. I'm like, well, what does Brett do? Or let me go way outside the echo chamber and talk to somebody else, a chef. How do they think about this stuff? And so then you get this collection of stories and I can kind of start to analyze both in the flow of producing those stories, but also a little bit after the fact, what are the commonalities? Are there any like named concepts that either I could name myself or found? Is there a methodology that I can start to shape? And then you write a post about that methodology, which I did. I wrote a post called How to Resonate. And it talks about this shift between being the biggest or best to being their favorite. And I proposed a methodology. And now people say, this is great or this is not great, right? Crickets are just as valuable a response as enthusiasm to me. And I will just keep doing this over time, using my creative platform to aerate my ideas until I feel like they've been so beat up and so honed that um, A, I understand how to articulate this really well when you know I appear later when I have the book on your show, right? And B, people are are sort of eagerly awaiting the culmination of that journey. And that's therefore like the book or whatever it is. And what's really cool about all this, Brett, is if you just remove all the terminology I gave you, if you just see it from the outside, it just looks like somebody who's owning a theme. you know. But for me, I, I don't really own it in my mind. I'm like exploring it and trying to understand it. I feel very unconfident, not confident, trying to explain this to people at this stage. right? But someone else goes, oh, if you want to understand resonance, you should look at Jay's work. Right? And it's like, no, 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 you should come on Jay's journey. I just happen to be like leading it, but everyone's on it. We're trying to figure it out together. And that's a way more inclusive, exciting call to action, I think, for folks to then subscribe to something than the typical B2B approach, which is like, we have it all figured out. So come see how we have it figured out. You're, you're pretty much a commodity now, giving away those how-tos. I could find that anywhere, right? But what I can't get is that emotional thrust ironically, that resonance that comes from trying to go on your journey and figure out something deeply important to me that no one else has figured out and I can't just Google. So you said something at the beginning of that, which I found profound in a way that you might have just said it, not even thought about it, but you <laughs> called what you, you called your content pieces products. And yep. I heard you say that. And to me, that shows that uh, something about that shows like this le- certain level of confidence. And I think just as content people, content creators, content marketers in organizations, like it is there, I would say the the role has elevated, but it's still, there's still a lot of work left to do. And I think maybe just in internal communication, talking about the work you're doing in the terms of products and because of the opportunities that can be created is, is pretty powerful. So maybe like, I'm going to put a spotlight on that. Maybe talk about like, just like the terminology a little more. I think that could help some people out. Talk about content in terms of being a product. Yes. Yeah. I think 99.9% of marketing is not distribution, but we conflate it with distribution. Distribution is like, here is, I have a thing over there and I'm going to try and tell you it's over there. So like an easy way to think about this is I'm going to put a link to my show on Twitter. That might qualify as distribution, but people don't show up to get your distribution, to get your alerts. There's a million alert systems. Maybe it's sort of weaved into the content you post in a given feed or channel, 
But people show up and say, I want to follow you because they want the product. The product is I am here and I get unique, discrete value from that and that alone. And that is a far more powerful way to get someone to click a link, right? So instead of saying like, good news, new episode, share the best bits of the episode on Twitter, right? So I call this the try the wine strategy because I'm Italian, everything comes back to food and wine. Um, and, uh, and so it, trying the wine, if I were running a vineyard, it's probably ineffectual or at least less effective if I were to go run around the area where I'm selling that wine and tell people, hey, down the street, I have this vineyard with awesome wine, you should come. It's probably a lot easier if I start handing out samples of that wine down the street and people actually taste how good it is and they're like, oh, I want more. And so I think that's the goal. That's maybe also a switch. And we're still somehow enduring this switch, even though I think it's been happening for more than a decade at least, is the, the call to action isn't, I want that, click the link. The, the implied prompt or the, the desire you're instilling in people, what you want people to say when they encounter you away from your own channels, like on Twitter as an example, is I want more. Not I want that. Here's the headline and a link. It's so enticing. No, no, no. It's I want more. So I, I don't know, listen to a clip of Brett's podcast on Instagram. That was delicious. I'd like more. I want the full bottle, the full episode. So when you think of content as a product, what you're thinking of it as is the actual value, not the distribution. And I think maybe that does plague a lot of podcasts too, or a lot of newsletters is people think of it as, oh, these are distribution channels for things that exist elsewhere. No, these are products discreetly in and of themselves. And they iterate and they add value as they iterate and they grow. And once in a while, you might say, hey, over here, if you like this value, we have even more over here, right? If you like this sample, get the whole bottle. If you like this podcast, why not go to the next step, which is the newsletter or what have you? So when you think of it as product, think of it as discrete value that is created through iteration over time versus marketing as distribution. All I, all I kept thinking about as you were describing the food and wine example is going into the grocery store and grabbing some free samples of some uh, you know candied bacon and eating it and then saying, this is lovely. Let me go buy the, the whole uh, package of bacon right. and fry it up for breakfast next, on Sunday. <laughs> and we have to get away from thinking, oh, they sampled it and then didn't buy. because And this is where we have to have a little more confidence in ourselves and operate a little bit more self-assuredly, which is Brett sampled the audiograms on Instagram. Brett follows me on Instagram, but he doesn't seem to go over to the show. Well, that's okay. Cause does Brett think more highly of us because of following us on Instagram? Absolutely. He does. Now, will he buy maybe eventually, or maybe he will tell a friend about us and that person will either click and subscribe or, or eventually buy. Like, so we have this really false sense of precision that we can put people nice and neatly into a funnel, into a buyer's journey. And so, oh, you're going to listen to the podcast. And then after like six hours, therefore six episodes, you're going to like subscribe to the newsletter. Now we can track you in our CRM and down the funnel you go. That's just not how the world works, right? And so it's better to say everywhere we show up, you think more highly of us. And because you think more highly of us, good things happen, right? Blessings cascade down. And I think the problem is we aren't confident enough to say to others that that's what marketing is. And so it has to be this game of tracking and catching people in different mousetraps so we can hold it up to a boss and justify our actions, right? So you got me on a soapbox here because I think we're actually hurting the results that our bosses want to see by limiting our view of what marketing is actually for. The, there's, the clip is in that, Jay. That's, that's where the clip is. 
maybe we close out with this. I'd love to, you talked about beating up a theme until like you, you feel like you've beat it up enough. Yeah. I want to talk about like that moment and that feeling and when, you know, and then also when do you start that, like the, the exploration around the new theme, do those intertwine? Is it a pass off? I'd love for for us to maybe close out with you talking about this. Yeah, sure. Uh, for two and a half years, I was exploring why we're so obsessed with best practices and all the ills that does, not just for marketers, but in general for professionals. And it started with Unthinkable with my podcast. Uh, it's a narrative style show. And the whole point was to inspire greater creativity in marketing. That's where it started. I was the content marketer for many years, thinking about in-house content marketer, that is, thinking about like, why aren't we obsessing over the content side? It seems to be that everyone's obsessed over the marketing side. It's like create a piece of crap and then market the hell out of it. Well, it's a lot easier to get like something well-built into orbit than like try to get a dud missile to fly. So why don't we think more about the content side? Well, I'm going to send up a beacon to the world of marketers that might care about that stuff because I felt alone and frustrated, right? And I had a lot of curiosity. Here comes unthinkable. And then I talk to the audience and I find out, wait, you're an accountant. You're a CTO. Why are you listening to this show? And so it kind of bobbed and weaved until I figured out everybody's here because they think there's something more exceptional when we follow our intuition and ignore the best practice or at least question it. So for two and a half years, I was doing that. And that led to my first book and a lot of speaking and other products. And then for about a year and a half, I was lost. And I was like, I don't know what this is about anymore. I don't know what it is. And I was just like, am I frustrated by this? Am I frustrated by that? And then I just start kind of retracing my steps and thinking like, what's a what's another theme that I kind of like picked up on that I loved that the audience seemed to respond to that was like a tangent that I dropped, didn't make it into the book, but I'm super passionate about it. And I remember seeing all these marketers just, co- like you said, copying each other at the very same time, you know, maybe because of the pandemic, we were all home. So we're online more. It's just like, I just felt this frustration that, oh, everyone is here trying to connect with other people. That's wonderful. But it's leading people to obsess over reach. And everyone's teaching reach. And I love resonance. So I like tried a couple of live classes teaching story structure and teaching, you know, how to develop an audience, not just get in front of an audience. And people seem to like that. And I sent out a bunch of tweets and people seem to like that. And I was like, okay, I think the word is resonance, right? And I talked to a lot of people who set me straight too, right? I was like, I don't know what I'm exploring. Like, here's like a paragraph. And friends would go like, the word is resonance, man. <laughs> like you've said it six times, right? So I was just willing to say, how am I feeling? What's broken? Do you feel this way too? I think it's what stories do. It's like, this is how I feel. Do you feel this way too? Which is one of my favorite quotes from Kazuo Ishiguro, the author. And so that, that's when I decided, okay, I am, I'm on a path now, or at least I'm exploring like a terrain now. Uh, and so if you're in a brand, if you're a marketer, I think it's a wonderful way to do it because you have one overarching umbrella story, but then you have all these different supporting pillars that you might move through. And over time, you create this really rich platform that people know you or find you through these these big foundational ideas or problems that you're trying to solve that all make sense and roll up to one overarching brand. So for me, the overarching brand is I want to help people make what matters. So the first pillar was we have a problem, which is best practices prevent us from doing that. That was two and a half years or more. And now it's like four or five months into this resonance idea. And I don't know where this takes me. I might publish a book, but you might not see resonance on the title. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, anyways, again, you got me on my soapbox. So this is, this is an episode called Jay ranting. Thank you for listening. Uh, that's, that's, that's what there's that the best episodes that we get are, uh, are, are people that give feedback and say, I love the rants on that. So <laughs> I think, I think this is, is great. Bef- before we let you get out of here, Jay, 
you got a lot of things going on that people can go um, learn more about kind of your mindset, what you're working on, maybe plug some things that we can put in our show notes. The only thing I want people to do after they listen to this is go make something that feels right to them. If, if you've listened to this and you're not like, I feel the urge to go and create, then nothing else about my platform will be interesting to you. Not my show, Unthinkable, not my newsletter, Playing Favorites. None of this stuff is going to matter if you're not already like, oh, I need to go make something because I'm here to solve a problem or self-express. And so that's what I want to do is I want to put those emotions back into B2B and bring better storytelling to our niche because I think this world deserves it. The world of work is starved for it. And so I don't, I don't, I'm not here to plug anything other than the fact that I think a lot of us sit on our hands and wind down the clock, but we don't have long. So it's time to ship something. So if you're listening to this, whether it's on the side or for your day job, just go create stuff. Forget following me. Just go make something. I love it. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Jay. Appreciate the time. I'm sure there's a lot of other topics somewhere buried in this episode that we could go deeper on. We'll have to have you back on sometime soon. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I got to tell you, I've had some conversations with Jay and I'm always eager to learn more. Get that notepad out. Guy's got a really good mindset when it comes to thinking about how we should communicate and tell stories to our audience in 2022. So hopefully you picked up a nugget from there. If you're not already, go follow him across all the social platforms and thank me later. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Modern Day Marketer coming at you next week. 